He stood on the gospel for the gospel. Peter stood up. See, the Christian church in crisis, we don't do the blame game and we do not do the shame game. We stand on the gospel for the gospel. That's what we do. See, we could do it differently. The church could. You can just imagine how this church could have done it. They could have said, you know, you know, Peter, why should we listen to you? you just, why are we going to allow you to stand up for Jesus? Why didn't you stand up for him before? They could have done that. They didn't do it. They could, Peter could have said, I have no right. I have no right to stand up here and say anything for Jesus because I didn't do it back then. Neither one happened. Peter stood up. He stood on the gospel and for the gospel. That's what we're going to do. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Picture that we're looking up comes from the Acts of the Apostles. This is how the risen Jesus worked through his church after he ascended into heaven. This is the very first story of what the church did after that happened. Here's what Luke writes to us. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language a keldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen 
to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. This is God's word. On that day, Peter stood up amongst the believers. And that's how you can tell it must have been Easter. It must have been quite the moment. The apostles, they're, they're coming back from seeing Jesus on the mountain. Jesus ascends into heaven. He commissions them to be witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then Samaria, and then to the end of the world. And then they, they come back to the rest of the believers. All of them were there. Well, almost all of them. We'll get to that in a second. All of them were there. The apostles, their wives, the women who had been at the tomb, Even Mary, the mother of Jesus, were there, and Jesus' biological brothers, Jude and James, guys who went on to write books of the Bible, were there. Everybody was there. It was about 120 believers, Luke says. And Peter stood up. And that's how you got to know it was Easter. See, you have to understand something about this moment. You have to kind of move into it. You have to feel the contours of what must have been in that room, the emotional and spiritual dynamics that were there. There must have been this big, aching hole. This massive, massive chasm. Somebody that they loved. Somebody that they had lived with for years. Somebody that they had trusted was tragically gone. See, but, but, but it was worse than that because it wasn't just the grief of losing somebody that they loved. It was how they lost them. See, when you lose somebody, it's one thing, but when you lose something, then you find out afterwards they were never who you thought they were. See, he was one of the apostles. He was one of the faith leaders. They had trusted him. See, when he betrayed Jesus, he hadn't just betrayed Jesus, he had betrayed them all. There was this big, aching chasm in the church. I mean, everybody in Jerusalem knows the story, not just the believers. Everybody knew the story, which is why Luke wants you to know the story so that you can understand the story, because everybody knew it. Everybody knew what Judas had done. I mean, he had gone and he had bought a field. Everybody in Jerusalem knew it. He had taken the money, the blood money that he had used to purchase, that he had used to that he had gotten for selling out Jesus, and he had used it to bought a field. And then on that field, by the way, Luke is very gentle with this. 
You might think he's not, but he's actually very gentle with this. The, the accounts that are outside of the Bible of what happened to Judas are much, much more graphic than this. And Luke doesn't use the word that's associated with this. We know it from Matthew. We don't know it from Luke. Luke is very gentle here. Everybody knew what he had done. And so Luke just tells us only enough so that we understand what happened. He fell headlong on the field, and his intestines spilled out of his body. Everybody in Jerusalem knew it, which is why the place got its name. It was called Field of Blood, because when something like that happens in a particular location, that location is stained forever. So it was a field of blood, both because the field was purchased with blood money, but also because Judas had stained it with his own blood. That's what the church was dealing with. How do you get past that? I mean, how do you, how, um, how, how do, you do that? How, how do you go to the world and say, you know, we believe that Jesus is God's Messiah, but one of our own is the one who sold him out? How do you do that? See, Peter stood up. Peter stood up into that spiritual hole, that spiritual chasm. Of course, that brings up the other part of the chasm. Peter stood up. Peter did. Peter did. I mean, we know his story too. Peter the denier. Matthew the runner. Jude and James, the people who thought that their own big brother was insane and partnered with people who said that he had a demon. Maybe you see what we have going on here. This was a full-blown, failed church. And Peter stood up. He preaches and he just launches into the situation. This is like one famous preacher once said, I don't need an introduction to my sermons. There's enough tension in the world already. There was tension, an elephant in the room, this big, gaping chasm. So Peter just launches. You'll notice he does it like Jesus did it, like Jesus had taught him to do it. <laughs> Jesus, he's, he's just like Jesus here. Why does Jesus preach? Jesus stands up and he says, this is what the word of God says. This is what it says in the Holy Scriptures. This is how it applies to our moment. Peter gets up and he preaches and he's got his text. He says, it's right here. It's written in the Psalms. This is what it says. May his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. So he's got his text. He says, this is what's going on in the world. This isn't beyond the plans of God. It's right here in the Holy Scriptures. The Spirit has given it to us. And then he says, but it's not going to stop us from doing our mission. He says, may another take his place of leadership. See, there had to be another, there had to be another apostle because God's got a number for his church, and it's 12. 
there were 12 tribes of Israel. There had to be 12 apostles. There couldn't be 11. There had to be 12. So there would never be a hole, a chasm in the church. So they say a prayer. They know it's got to be one of two men who had been there the whole time from John's baptism to that time when Jesus ascended into heaven, who had seen it all. There were only two who fit the bill. They wanted God to make the final choice. So they say a prayer, and they cast lots. And it was Matthias. And that's the story of what the church did after Jesus ascended into heaven. I was going to preach on this story a year ago. I didn't. A pandemic hit us. I changed courses. It seemed like I needed to. I'm glad I did. I'm glad that I saved this one for this year. And I want to tell you why. This story in the Bible is a much neglected story. I've actually never heard it preached on in church before. And I've been in church my whole life. Maybe you're in the same boat. It's a much neglected story. I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it's because, maybe it's, because it's kind of a downer. You know, it always comes up in the, in the season of Easter. And I think sometimes preachers would probably much rather preach on Thomas and his doubting than Judas and his intestines. It's kind of a downer. Sometimes I think it goes along with happy victory talk that can be a denial of reality of life in the church. You see that in Holy Week sometimes. Sometimes what happens in Holy Week, people go from the Sunday before Easter to the Sunday after Easter, and they just skip Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday because, you know, there's that death and that sin part that Jesus had to pay for. And if you just go from one Sunday to another Sunday, then you can just do victory all the time. So maybe it's that, but I actually think it's something else. There's only one commentator that I know of that grabbed onto this. His name is Dr. Jeffrey Oshwald. He points out that really what this story is about, it's a story of the first crisis. The very first crisis in the Christian church. And back in 2018, Dr. Oshwald said, that this story would apply to only a minority of churches who are actually going through a crisis. Little did he know that two years later in 2020, every church in America would go through crisis. Ours has too. Do you remember what it was like at peace before the pandemic? Maybe some of you do. 
it's kind of sad to think about how much we've lost together. Do you remember how it used to buzz after church all the time? I'd have to say, okay, guys, it's time for Peace Academy, and everybody's talking. We were, um, maybe we still are, I don't know. We were one of the fastest churches, growing churches in our denomination. Thanks be to God, not to us. There were whispers at the time that we were going to have to go to two services, not one, and that wasn't because of COVID. We had 120 people almost every Sunday in here and growing. Do you remember that? Then March of 2020 hit. And there's been crisis ever since. We've had to figure out how to try to hold on to each other with our fingernails. We've been stretched in our manpower. We've had so many different questions that we've had to address together all the time, six feet apart. And I haven't even talked about the spirituality of this past year. This has been a full-blown spiritual crisis. So while the parallels aren't perfect, I think there's enough here for us that we can learn something from this story. And I want to suggest to you that there's three key lessons that the Christian church can learn in crisis. Here's the first one. We need, in crisis, to stand for the gospel on the gospel. I, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm a preacher, right? So I identify with the preacher in the story. That's Peter. But I want to help you identify with him for a second. I'm very moved by this. And I hope you see this too. Peter stood up. stood up. See, there's two miracles of grace in that. Not one. There's two miracles of grace in that. See, there's always two dynamics at play in a church. The first is how you see yourself. The second is how others see you. And yet, Peter stood up. He stood on the gospel for the gospel. Peter stood up. See, the Christian church in crisis, we don't do the blame game and we do not do the shame game. We stand on the gospel for the gospel. That's what we do. See, we could do it differently. The church could. You can just imagine how this church could have done it. They could have said, you know, you know, Peter, why should we listen to you? you just, why are we going to allow you to stand up for Jesus? Why didn't you stand up for him before? They could have done that. They didn't do it. They could, Peter could have said, I have no right. I have no right to stand up here and say anything for Jesus because I didn't do it back then. Neither one happened. Jesus, Peter stood up. He stood on the gospel and for the gospel. That's what we're going to do. We could do it differently. We could. 
We could, we could look at each other. You could look at me. Because there's always two dynamics, right? There's the way that you look at yourself, and there's the way that you look at others. You could look at yourself, and you could say, look at how I performed during this pandemic. I got too, I got too scared. I haven't taken the sacrament in forever. I haven't served the church like I should have. You could sit, sit there and do some self-recrimination. Or you could direct it all at others. That's what people do. You know, you want to blame somebody for the crisis. So you look at everybody else. Look at what they did. Look at how they wore a mask or how they didn't wear a mask. We could do this. We could really do this. You know, we could, but we don't. Not in the church. Not here. We stand on the gospel. We stand for the gospel. And we can do that because it's Easter. Because it's Easter. See? Easter is real, just as real as our sin. Easter is real, just as real as our failures. Easter is real. So we can stand on the gospel for the gospel. That's what Peter did. That's your first lesson. Here's your second one. We can trust God's saving plan for his church because it's Easter. I want you to look at, 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 at what Peter did. Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon. And he's got his text. This is a little bit of an aside, but not too much of an aside. I was going to make this big deal about how this is a church that stands on the word of God. That's why people join peace, because we're a church that stands on the word of God. Everything that we teach here is a stand on the word of God. His inspired, Holy Spirit-given word of God. Peter said, this is from the Spirit. This is from God himself. This is what God has said, that it wasn't out of his control, that this was a part of God's plan, that God wasn't up in heaven saying, whoops, I didn't know Judas was going to do that. None of it was out of his control. All of it led to eternal salvation for the church. They were going to be whole. There was going to be 12. There was always going to be Matthias. Easter means we can trust that if God can take the worst thing that ever happened to the church was that, was that their Messiah died and turn it into eternal salvation, then he can do that for anything. See, in the kingdom, it always moves forward. Light or dark, crisis or not, COVID or not, up or down, topsy-turvy or not, the church is going to be fine. It's not out of God's saving plan. See, None of it is going to mark us. What should have marked us is Judas. Judas was one of ours. He came from us. 
The church could have been stained by that forever. It's not. Why not? Because God took what Judas did for money and he turned it into life for us. Whatever has happened to peace over the past year or so, and I think we're just starting to find out what it is, it is not beyond God's hand or God's love or God's mercy, or God's care, or beyond his plan. No, 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 no. God's church will be whole. God's church is going to get where it's supposed to go. Easter proves that to you. This brings me to the final application for today. And it's this. The church still has work to do. That's why Peter stood up. They had a mission. We still do. (laughs) There's still people to baptize. There's still people to commune. There's still the word of peace to preach. There are still disciples to meet and made. There's still work to do. And so God provided Matthias. I want to give you two things from Matthias. First of all, some guidance and then some encouragement. Here's some guidance. You know what strikes me about Matthias? He didn't get an option. (laughs) He didn't. You got to wonder what the guy's life was like. You know, he'd been there the whole time. That's what qualified him. But they didn't say, you know, Matthew or Matthias, would you be up for it? (laughs) Do you want to be an apostle? They didn't, they didn't, do you, would you like this, Matthias? Do you think you could pull this off, Matthias? No. It was Matthias. You know what you can learn from that? The, the most important question that you can ask in your life of the church, in the life of the church is this one. What does my church need That's the most important question. I've been a pastor now for coming up on 13 years. I found this, that there are always plenty of people in the church who want to do what they're good at or what they're passionate about. But what is difficult to find is somebody who will say, What does the church need? I will do that. We're about to turn the corner out of this pandemic. We're going to need people. Will you be Matthias? 
There's your guidance. Here's your encouragement. Did you know that we have Matthias here? <laughs> I think this is amazing. Think about this. There are people who have joined peace during the pandemic. Isn't that something? <laughs> I think that's something. They didn't say, we're going to wait. We're going to see what it's really like. We're going to see if we fit in here. No, 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 no. They joined the church during the pandemic. We have other people who have taken up positions of leadership during the pandemic. I'll do what needs to be done. They've, they've taken up positions of leadership during the pandemic. We have Matthias here. In fact, I'd be so bold as to say this. You probably are a Matthias here. See, Matthias, Matthias was a new face in the apostles. He's a new face. I want to point out to you that in a very real sense, all of us are new now. I'm new. I am not the same man I was when the pandemic started. I hope you're not either. We're all new. We're different. I got a, I got a text the other day. I was so encouraged by this. The text was a, a verse from the book of James. It said this, Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, God uses crisis to change us, to better us. Look around. These are not the same people. We are not the same church. We are different. We are better. We're stronger. We're more resilient. We're more focused on our mission. Just wait till we unleash peace back on this world. We're not the same church anymore. And that's good. It's just the way it's supposed to be. So this is Easter, isn't it? I... I hope that it's actually Easter in another way, too. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But I hope that we are starting to move out of this crisis now. I want you to know something as we do, and this has hopefully been the main thrust for today, that God when it comes to crisis, is not a manipulative politician. He uses crisis because he loves us. He uses it to change us, to make us better, to make us more focused on what he wants us to be about. Because he is the God of Easter who raised our Lord Jesus from the dead and raises us too. So yeah, it's been a crisis. But I mean that in the way that the ancient Greeks used to think about it. A crisis in Greek is a turning point, a fresh start, a new beginning. Today it is for us at peace too. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus Christ, I'm thinking about the prayer that our apostle Peter prayed. He said, Lord, you are the knower of every heart. You know ours too. You know our pains. You know our sins, our weariness, our fears. You know it all. And yet you love us. And yet you forgive us. And yet you call us. Lord, call us to our mission here at Peace to be about the business of the church and making disciples. Make us stronger, more robust, more focused, more resilient in all of it. In your great name, I pray, Jesus. Amen.